It's a little-known fact that Cheerscast is a proud member of the Fire & Water Podcast Network. What are you grinning about? Oh, I was just confirming once again what a fortunate thing it was that you and I split up. Now my love life is stable and yours belongs in one. <laughs> I have to share that one with Frazier. Puns are his greatest pleasure. You mean now that he's sleeping with you? <laughs> Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. And they're always glad you came. You want to be where you can see. Our troubles are all the same. You want to go where everybody knows your name. Hello and welcome back to Cheerscast, the podcast where everybody knows your name. I'm Ryan Daly, and with Shark Week right around the corner, I am thrilled to welcome back the host of Is It Jaws from the Two True Freaks Network, Mr. Paul Spataro. What's up, Paul? Not much, Ryan. Thanks for having me on again. I look forward to my appearances on this show. As do I, as do I. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> legit. Um, and instead of asking you, how are things going in this world that is oh so calm and relaxing right now, uh, and getting this kind of the same answer that everybody else is getting, um, let me let me switch things up. What is the best movie that you have seen in the last couple of weeks, either for your podcast or just for fun? I would say in the last few weeks, because you got to, you know, unfortunately, I well, not unfortunately, but I'm way ahead of schedule on is it yours so i mean if you uh, want to go back to the beginning of the pandemic you can <laughs> <laughs> well i haven't seen anything in the movies in quite some time i couldn't even tell you what the last thing i saw in the movie theater was uh i would say the best thing i've seen and i've said this a few times already best thing i've seen in recent days was a beautiful day in the neighborhood i just oh, thought yeah. that was one of the most like inspirational enjoyable movies i've seen in a long long time very cool, very cool. I want to see that, definitely. Yeah, yeah, that looks great. Okay, let's turn into this episode, which is Season 3, Episode 5, titled Sam Turns the Other Cheek. This episode is written by... <laughs> you know, the title is one of the funniest things about this episode. <laughs> yeah. Sure, take, take like a, a biblical reference and, and make it, you know, even... Well, I was going to say cheekier, but that's just wrong. So, this episode is written by David Lloyd, directed by James Burroughs, and the original air date was Thursday, November 1st, 1984. Sam breaks up with his latest flame, Maxine, after she tells him that she's married. That night, after closing, Maxine's angry husband, Marvin, comes to the bar and confronts Sam at gunpoint. Sam apologizes and explains the situation, and with some helpful advice from a Jimmy Soul song, is able to disarm Marvin both emotionally and physically. As Sam goes to put the gun away, it discharges, hitting Sam in the butt. The next day, Sam hobbles into work with a cane, which the whole bar can't help but notice and ask about. Embarrassed to admit the truth, Sam makes up a story about catching a bullet while defending the bar from armed robbers. Diane alone is able to see the cracks in his story and confronts him in the office. Maxine comes in, having just heard about Sam's injury. Even though Sam shoes her out as quickly as he can, Diane puts the pieces together. 
Even though Diane knows the truth, Sam can't help perpetuating the lie when local reporters want to interview him for the story. Later that night, after closing, Marvin returns with another gun, now upset that Sam turned Marvin's misery into his own celebrity and profit. Diane is able to talk Marvin down this time, relating to his pain and his helpless devotion to someone who will only ever disappoint him. After Marvin leaves, Diane convinces Sam to call the newspaper and tell the truth. He starts to do so, but gets distracted, flirting with the woman on the phone. Before asking her out, Sam asks the girl if she's married. Alrighty, Paul, what did you think of Sam Turns the Other Cheek? I would say, as, as I was telling you before we started recording this, I'm, I'm kind of just a little bit ahead of your podcast schedule in my Cheers rewatch. So I watched this a couple of weeks ago, and then when you mentioned to me that you were inviting me on, I watched it again, obviously, to, to be more uh, you know on top of it memory-wise for this episode. So having it fresh in my mind with kind of both viewings, watching it once just for fun and once for the sake of giving it you know, a critique. Mm-hmm. It is kind of a harmless episode. It's, you know, it's not one that really stands out as being one of the best of the series, but there are some moments in it that are kind of fun and it's, it's just, and just kind of entertaining in the background almost. Mm-hmm. Like I said, it's not one of these ones where you would pull it out and say, Oh, you got to watch this. It's hilarious, but there's nothing wrong with it per se either. And it's got a couple of character moments in it that I do like. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I think there are a few really solid bits of character that are kind of funny and and memorable. But overall, the episode it's not it's it's sort of a middle road episode and everything. It's I, I would call it more forgettable than some, but for the fact that Sam actually does shoot himself in the ass, and that's kind of like anytime I go through the list when I see the title, I'm like, oh yeah, I remember that one. Um, yeah, well, so I think it, the title is is great. Yeah. It's just you know that, that's one of the best things. It's better than any of the puns Diane gave him. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's almost like they maybe they should have worked it into the script. <laughs> yeah, really, yeah. Um, I didn't mention uh, two of the, the, the short little brief subplots in the episode, so we'll kind of hit those before getting into the, the meat of it. Um, the first one, uh, we find out that uh, Carla, Carla has... A, a like a, a toothache that she because you know when Sam makes fun of Diane and Carla doesn't respond or laugh Diane is like Carla what's wrong and she's like leave me alone I've got a bad toothache and Diane calls it an impacted wisdom fang <laughs> uh, so and that's all it is and it, or at least actually one of my favorite coach moments when coach says Carla you should do what I used to do when I played in the minors oh really what's that <laughs> yeah. see a dentist. <laughs> That's that was that was actually in in the running for my home run. Yeah, it was it was close. It was one of my contenders too. But it's just it's like one of those perfect setups because it's it's the obvious joke that you don't see coming because of the way it's set up. And then of course that would be of course that would be coach's advice. But then it also makes you think, wait, has he not seen a dentist since he was actually playing in the minor leagues? Like how long was that? Oh, uh, you know, there was a time when people really just didn't go to the dentist and coach would be at an age i'm just trying to think of how old he was when this was on in the 1980s like mid 60s probably 70 yeah 
So that would put him born around 1910, which would put him as a teenager, uh, you know, and, and a young man right in the Depression. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He may not have been, you know, he may be at an age where he didn't go to the uh, go to the dentist to speak of. Oh, yeah, that rings true. I can see that now. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then after we, we come back, when it's in the second act, there's this very brief moment when Carla comes in and she is just bounding and she is happy and peppy. And they're like, hey, what's going on? You you ended up going to the dentist? And she tells the story. She's like, as the dentist leaned in to work on my tooth, I grabbed him where I knew I would have his attention. And she says, now we're not going to hurt each other, are we? And the gang laughs and they crack up and everything. And, and Diane actually like has to follow it up. She's like, did that work? And Rhea Perlman does this thing that I love. Where as, as a character, she says, hey, we're having a later dinner tonight. And Rhea Perlman does this kind of hip cock where she, like, thrusts her butt out to the side. And I've seen her do this in, like, other episodes sometimes, like, when Carla is sort of, like, dancing or kind of, like, you know, being sort of flirtatious with the girl. She has just got, like, this weird sort of command of her hips where for being such a small creature, she can really throw her butt out from side to side in ways, like, that just seems like it's like, I think she did that while still planting both of her feet flat. It's like, how did she do that physically? She she did have a way with some physical comedy. Uh, although in this particular episode, I think Sam has the biggest physical comedy moment. <laughs> yeah, yes, he does. Uh, but but she, you know, she was, I think because she's petite, mm-hmm. uh, but she's also, you know, she's thin and spry. And, I, you know, I, th- I think she was really just, you know, like a very physical actress. And I think, you know, she was able to do stuff like that. But when when the part called for her to be more physical, I don't think she ever had a problem with it. Right. Right, yeah. I just, it just seemed like that was impressive for like somebody of her like size to to feel so vivacious almost in that kind of movement. That was like a real hip, but uh, yeah, I love it. So it's a little little bit of a non sequitur, but uh, you know, I've mentioned in the past about you know how I saw this as kind of a success at a taxi right, as far right, as the ensemble yeah. comedy and all. And I mean, you know, James Burroughs was key in both of them, uh, but you know, Rhea Perlman was on that show as well as Xena. And it, I, I don't know. It just bears mentioning because I don't know when it'll it'll fit into the conversation. As long as it's on my mind, uh, what a different part she played to show a little bit of range on her part. Because as Zena, she was a very quiet, unassuming, shy person. And then I believe there was an episode where she played Zena's sister, and you know she was very outgoing. Uh, Oh no, no, that was actually this show. Which yeah, yeah, she, she played Charlotte's twin sister, who was the opposite, who was much more mousy and shy. Yeah, yeah. Yes, but but yeah, and, and when she was playing Carla's twin, she was pl- kind of playing Zena. Zena, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I said, only worth mentioning to the point of mentioning that I think Rhea Perlman had some pretty good acting chops. Mm-hmm. Oh, I definitely agree. I definitely agree. Yeah, uh, there for a brief time they considered bringing in Danny DeVito to play Carla's ex-husband Nick. Which would have been interesting, but me, I, I think, I absolutely think they went the right way with Dan Hedaya. But yeah. Well, I, I don't think, you know, I've, I've said this when we've talked about casting in different shows and movies and things. Uh, I can't say how Danny DeVito would have done it, and I'm sure he would have done fine, mm-hmm. but I can't. I can't imagine he would have done it better than Dan Hedaya did. <laughs> there you go. I mean, Dan Hedaya did it so well that they actually gave him a very, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, a very, very poorly thought out spinoff of his own. Yes, and I think, is. you know, had that, sh- had that show been thought out better, it might have been better. But he did it. they did it on the strength of his performance on Cheers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Getting back here, then, the other subplot we come to is uh, Normie is uh, thinking about unlo- – he's wanting to sell his house, and Cliff brings up that he's thinking he, he would consider buying it. And, and Cliff kind of drops the line of, you know, I'm thinking about getting my own place. And they're like, well, what does that mean? And here, Cliff has to very slowly, very reluctantly, like Norman Coach, have to drag it out of him. But here we find out for the first time that Coach lives with his mom. Uh, and this will be a dominant aspect of his character going forward, and we will learn more about it. Uh, what did you think about this part? Uh, that, that was my favorite part of the show, the whole <laughs> uh, the whole house sale thing. Uh, the back and forth between them, you know, Cliff trying to take advantage of Norm, uh, <laughs> and Norm's reaction to it. Uh, it really, you know, made me openly laugh. I think I think it was the funniest part of the show. There, yeah, there, there were some really consistently good parts. Um, I, I, the one part, of, like when they're first, like before he's even like buying the house and everything, when when they're leaving that night and he's talking about how he, oh, he still lives with him, or, or he's like, you still live with mom and dad? He's like, I live with my mom. It's like he's like, why? Why do you live with your mom? And he's he kind of Cliff is trying to explain it how he does it out of a sense of. He feels a sense of responsibility that he has to stay with her. And he, he says the how he describes it is, he's like my my father abandoned us a couple of years ago. Now now doesn't it eventually? And I don't remember, but doesn't it eventually come out that he abandoned them when they were like he was like nine or something like that? Yes, yeah. That actually the story of Cliff's dad leaving does come back in an episode later on. So so we will play that out. But here at least when he says my father abandoned us a couple of years ago. Cliff, if he's as old as John Ratzenberger is, he's in his late 30s. He's 37 or 38 at this time. A couple of years ago makes me think when he was 34, 35? Like, <laughs> somewhere in his like earlier mid-30s, at least. And it's like, so, okay, that's not really the excuse. Unless he had left and moved back, perhaps. So it's kind of, you're damned if you don't. Damned if you do, damned if you don't. Either he's just, you know had plenty of chance to get his mother set up and whatever and has stayed anyway, mm. or he was there until he was in his mid-30s. Right, right. Um, and all of this, by the way, is not me judging because I, after college, I had moved back in with my parents for a few years. So, uh, like, that, that's not even it. But, like, the fact that when Norm is teasing, he's like, do you have a curfew? He's like, I can stay out as late as I want as long as I call by 10. So this is also just the, the seeding, not only the fact that Cliff lives with his mom, but eventually we will see how much that relationship does dominate his life and, and how much of a so-called mama's boy he is. Yeah. So, you know, you, you got to wonder, is he looking to buy Norm's house to move into it, or is he looking to buy it to move into it with his mom? Mm-hmm. And you, you got to think, based on the relationship as we learn it later, if you you know, with hindsight... He's got to be moving in with his mom. There's no way he was leaving her on her own. Right. He might have wanted more space. He might have wanted like a bigger house to actually, you know, like have more room. So he was still living with her, but maybe they were not on top of each other if they've got like a smallish apartment that they share or something. To me, that has some character moments too, though, where, you know, Norm is his best friend in the whole world, but he doesn't think twice about trying to take advantage of him. Yeah, exactly. And- and then, then Norm, Norm's reaction is like, what is it? I mean, it starts off with, I'm thinking about getting a place, it's yours. <laughs> you know, it's, it's his first reaction. Then yeah. then when he, when he makes him the offer, it's like, you know, he starts laughing and he accepts it. He says, you know, this number here, this is an eight. Oh, I thought it was a two. <laughs> yeah, his line after that was also one of my almost home runs when he was like, at last, English-speaking neighbors. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's <laughs> – no question about it. I think that's the best part of the uh, – 
the episode is the whole uh, Norm Cliff byplay, and I think that's that's one of the hallmarks of this show, uh, even more so as it gets on and, and matures more. Is a lot of times that subplot has a tendency to just sneak into the you know the the while while the the, the main plot is going on mm-hmm. instead of instead of just cutting to it, they actually kind of go back and forth where where you know the conversation will just be going on even as the main plot is going on. Yeah. And it, it, this show did it as well as any. Yeah, yeah, really, yeah. Uh, okay, so then getting into the meat of it, this the story actually begins with the teaser. This is another one of those episodes where I feel like maybe it was running along and they just chopped off the, the, the first act after the first big laugh to make that the teaser. Um, because the, the story begins right away with Sam and this girl, Maxine, leaving his office, and she's crying, and she's like, why are you breaking up with me? Why are you doing this? And he's trying to let her down easy, saying it's the right thing to do, and, and she's making excuses, and he's like, no, no. And we see the, the gang is all watching this play out, and, and Norm says, you know, back up the garbage truck, next sub, dump city. And Cliff tries to implore Norm to, you know, feel some compassion, and then promptly asks Coach to get out of the way so he can actually watch this this thing play out. And then it, the whole thing culminates after the woman leaves. You know, Diane you know makes a joke to to some of the customers. You know, this is be this will be available wherever nauseating paperbacks are sold. Um, now, the key to that that sells that to me is when she says that the customer who she's serving laughs mm-hmm. because otherwise it just you know comes off as another like one of Diane's moments where she doesn't fit in. Right. Right. Yeah, and I think it, the the sort of breakup had to be public enough that everybody is paying attention to it. Everybody is witnessing this thing play out as much as Sam is trying to downplay this. So, yeah, the fact that the the customer was watching it and then reacts to what Diane was saying, you're right. Yeah, yeah. Then once we come back from the the credits, uh, Sam explains what happened. He he uh, dumped her because uh, she was married, and he says, "I don't mess around with married women." To which Norm has a great response. Me neither. Yes. But I can't. Yep. Yep. That's it. He goes. Me neither. Yeah. Uh, and and then we find out that there. Sam says there are three categories of women that he doesn't fool around with: married, underage, and comatose. And it's, it's he's, add, he's added one. <laughs> he's added one. Yeah. You got, and, you got to think he added comatose, but I'm not sure. I, I, I but you, you know what? I'm sorry. Finish your thought. This is a good standard for somebody who is. You know, a, a womanizing character, and as much as that might have been the subject of hero worship amongst the characters, and the way it was portrayed in the early 80s would have different connotations, whereas today it's kind of an aspect of Sam's character that you, you might feel compelled to apologize for because it's a little bit sleazy, and it, it, that's something about him that doesn't age as gracefully as some other aspects of his character. But a line as simple as that establishes, okay, he fools around with a lot of women, and, and that's his preoccupation, but he is not out to wreck any homes or destroy any families with married women. He doesn't chase anyone who can't give consent, either emotionally or physically. Those are important things. <laughs> like those, are, those would be the things that would make the character unlikable and irredeemable. So it's nice that we, we do establish that clearly. Yeah, I, I definitely think that was a, a good, a very good thing, especially as we look at it, you know, in the past. And, you know, we sometimes I think we try to apologize 
for the behavior, not not necessarily apologize. I think that's a, that was a poor choice of words. But we try to overlook some aspects of Sam's behavior and say, well, you know, not only, you know, even then we understand that it was unacceptable, but it was kind of one of the sitcom tropes of the time. And, you know, you have to look at it in the era that it was made and, and all of that. But to, to see that he does have some standards and two out of the three are very reasonable standards, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, that there, there's something to be said for that because the way they showed his womanizing up until this point you know, would you have been shocked if you found out that he was messing around with a married woman? I, I don't think so. And yeah. frankly, you know, when you're talking about ball players and whatever, I, I think there's probably even an aspect of, you know, underage mm-hmm. things going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't mean to, to damn, you know, the entire group like that. But when you're in a situation where there's groupies and there's people throwing themselves at you, I mean, I've heard some stories about uh, – Ball players and the the propositions they've gotten over the years mm-hmm. from some very very forward you know people. Uh, I don't know that they're asking for ID at that point anyway. Right, right, right. So you know the fact that that Sam has that standard, it's you know I mm-hmm. say good for him. Yeah. It makes him it makes him uh, you know a a more morally upstanding character than a lot of what we've seen to this point. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the the line about the the comatose, which I think is added for the laugh, but I I did take that to mean I mean for somebody who is a a drunk and in recovery, I, I and who runs a bar, I think he knows who is who uh, when uh, when a woman would be you know able to actually like give consent and say yes or say no and be in charge of all of her faculties i took the so comatose, you you're, you're you're taking that as anybody who's not capable of consenting that's kind of i took the comatose as a jokey way of putting everything in that umbrella of you know just clearly establishing that he's not going to take advantage of somebody who isn't you know who isn't physically capable of of granting that permission yeah I would say that is definitely a generous definition of what he said, uh, but I like to look at it that way because I want to like Sam. Right. <laughs> so, you know, we're allowed to interpret it however we see fit, and uh, I'm good with that that right. interpretation. Right, right. Uh, okay, uh, then this one led to like one of my, another one of my favorite lines. I did think there were a couple of good gags in this part, in this early part, when Diane says um, she's sort of like laughing at her own joke because she says, "Now my life is in a stable, and yours belongs in one." And then she kind of laughs to herself, and she's like, "I can't wait to tell that joke to Fraser. Puns are his greatest pleasure." <laughs> and, and, and and she walks right into it because Sam just looks at her dead face, like, "You mean now that he's dating you?" And um, and that actually leads to the, the Diane's interaction with Carla with about the impacted wisdom thing. Then we get the scene when Marvin comes in, um, and and he holds Sam at gunpoint, and this is kind of like the the first major dramatic point of it, and. I think actually, I mean, for being for being a scene that should not lend itself to a lot of comedy, I actually think they do it really well of making the threat feel serious enough, but we're still in the world of a sitcom. You know, it's it's kind of like in the beginning of the season when they had to deal with the fact that Sam had relapsed and he was drinking again. You had to show that this was something that was really starting to destroy his life, but we're not watching Breaking Bad, you know, after all. This is still Cheers, so we have to keep it light. So I think, again, they kind of, they they 
had this situation where, hey, there's a gun being pointed at Sam's face. This is, and it's by a jealous lover who's who's got every right in the world to be mad about this situation, but it's still, you know, we we still love these characters. It, you know, we're not we're not going down, uh, you know, a a road that we can't come back from. This is still something that we can joke about. So, you know, when when he comes, he starts to calm Marvin down, and he's like, "You got a drink or something?" He's like, "Yeah, I think I got a bottle here." He's like, "You're not an angry drunk, are you?" <laughs> Yeah, I thought that, you know, when Sam is talking him down, I was actually thinking he did a better job of doing that than I would <laughs> because he says, you know, oh, you know, I didn't know. As soon as I knew, I, was send, I sent her out of here. And Marvin's reaction was to say, so you're saying it's her fault? And I would have responded, yes, <laughs> she's the one who knew she was married. I didn't know. Yeah, yeah. So, and, th- and that might have in- inflamed him more. So Sam said, no, nobody's at fault, you so, know, and, and, and calmed him down. I, I actually – I had a different take than that when he, sa- when he kind of says – he's like, it's nobody's fault. He, like I think after that he says, I know we've all been hurt by this and I'm sorry. At that point I would have been like – how exactly was Sam hurt? Like, how, how, why is he equating his suffering to the guy with the gun? Because I was like, that would have pissed me off if I was in Marvin's shoes. I was like, oh, you, you were hurt by this because you found out that you know the girl you may have liked was married. But I'm the I'm the real victim here. So I yeah, I thought like that was a poor word choice from Sam. Yeah. Yeah. So we definitely looked at it differently because, like I said, I well, you know, you know what, I'm I'm looking at it. At it in a results-oriented way, and I'm saying, but you know what? When you're writing the sitcom, you could write whatever results you think work. That's true. So, so he he could have said no, it was no one's fault, and then had Marvin freak out and say, "What do you mean it was nobody's fault?" <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, I mean, you know, it's, it's it's however you do it. But like I said, I I know my reaction would have been to say, "No, she's at fault, and she used both of us." Mm-hmm. I would have tried to equate us together against her. Yeah, true. To kind of team up and yeah. Okay, I, I can see that too. Yeah. But I, I don't know that my way would have worked better, though. Might have well, gotten a bullet in my ass. Yeah. Well, well, I mean, Marvin definitely. He, you know, he he comes around to that when when Sam brings the when Sam brings the bottle of scotch over, and he's like, you know, don't kid yourself. You're not the first one. There have been others that she slept with. And Sam is like, just out of curiosity, are they still with us? So yeah. Um, and then and then, oh. Boy, the way when Sam brings in brings the song, he's like, I I love this song. By the way, he he starts quoting the lines from the song "If You Want to Be Happy" by Jimmy Soul, and it's a song I've, I I don't know if I I don't I think I don't think that I first heard it from this show. I think I knew about it as, as an oldie, probably like on one of the records my dad would have been playing. It is just this. Horrible, horrible song. It's almost think, sounds like it's a one of the parody. most upbeat songs I've ever it heard. It is. It's a fun song. I love listening to it. It has got such a peppy, like up tempo. Like you, you can like dance to it. It is like it is like straight out of you know shout by like you know Otis Day from like um from uh, uh, Animal House. You just it, you it sounds like that. You just want to jump up to it. It's a great song, but you'd think it would be a parody if you listened to it. And the lyrics are. Like part of the line is, a pretty woman makes her husband look small, and very often causes his downfall. As soon as he married her, and then she starts to do the things that will break his heart. But if you make an ugly woman your wife, you'll be happy for the rest of your life. An ugly woman cooks meals on time, and she'll always give you peace of mind. It's like, 
foo boy. <laughs> and, and the chorus is just, if you want to be happy for the rest of your life, never make a pretty woman your wife. From my personal point of view, get an ugly girl to marry you. It's like, holy God, how do you... How, like, like, not only could you not get away with a song like that in this day and age, like... Like, forget cancel culture. This would be, like, annihilation if somebody tried to pass this off <laughs> as a legit song. Like, this would have to be originating from, like, the deepest bowels of, like, incel Reddit culture or something like that. It would be awful. But it's just this kind of jokey, very peppy, funny soul song, and I love it. I think, you you know, you play that if you're going to play that song, you're going to play it like in a group of oldies and, you know, like a bunch of 60s songs, you know, like yeah, Girl yeah. Watcher and stuff like that. It's, it's, a, and, it's a wedding song or like a, like a you know, for, for like a very older group of people. Yeah. Well, like me. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Um, and then, yeah, so, uh, so Marvin is disarmed and Sam shoots himself in the butt. And I think there's something to be said for that, too, because, you know. If you watch enough TV, uh, sitcoms, serious shows, whatever, they handle guns like, you know, everybody's a pro. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they all handle them, they bounce them around, and nobody ever gets hurt. And yet, you know, you, you hear these horror stories in real life of people getting hurt from mishandling guns. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he he handled it the way you see them handle it on TV and the movies all the time. And he took a bullet in the ass for it. <laughs> you know, and, and there's something, you know, I'm, I am not... I am neither a gun control advocate nor a gun rights advocate. I don't own a gun. I think people can have guns if they have them licensed the proper way uh, and all of that. But, you know, I think showing people the danger of being careless with a gun is a pretty good thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, I, and I think I think in its own way, this is more realistic than most of the gun handling we see on TV shows. Yeah, yeah, and and it, like even even beyond that, my brain went to the sort of the checkoff of, of the, like rules where they introduced the gun, the gun had to go off, and it did when you weren't expecting it. Certainly when Sam wasn't. You know, like I said, I, I think there's a lesson in there that that that. I don't know if it was intended, and I do think it's kind of subtle about, you know, not, again, not necessarily about gun control, but about gun education. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. And, and presenting something, but, you know, the, the uh, yeah, showing, showing unintended, unexpected consequences. The, the only thing about it that, that I would say is unrealistic is had that happened, it probably would have done a lot more damage to him in real life than it did in this show. Because from that close range i don't care if it's a 22 with a small bullet from that close range it's probably it's probably not embedding itself in your butt it's probably going in and then either hitting a bone or coming right out again and and giving you know my impression was that it probably just took off a lot of flesh and like went in through the went through the seat or something like that but (laughs) transitional here um i did think that the logic, like what, once you have an event like that in the story, then there are sort of a logical sequence of events that would have come later consequences that just did not completely got ignored. Um, and especially once the reporter started interviewing him about this, this is where I, I really struggled with some of the logical fallacies of this, of this storyline. Cause any decent reporter, I think would have checked the story by going to the hospital where he was admitted. 
um, to actually find out if there was anything else going on and not just take this guy's word for it. Um, if you're worth your salt, you do all the due diligence and fact-checking. That would include talking to doctors, even if you can't get full medical records, just fi- like tracing the, sto- the story as, as far as you can. Well, I also think that I think in the event of a gunshot injury, no matter what part of the body it's to and no matter how superficial it is, I think the hospital is required to report it to the police. They are required to to report it to the police. So Sam probably would have been spoken to by – would have been interviewed by cops in the hospital you know, before he was discharged. Did he tell the truth or did he file a phony police report to the cops? Did he like – did he tell what Marvin's involvement was? I mean, was Marvin there when Sam had to go to the hospital? Did he drive him there or something? Was Marvin ta- spoken to by the cops? Would would he face any legal repercussions, even though he didn't ha- have the gun? I mean, I think I actually did look into this. Like Massachusetts has, I don't even know what it would have been in 1984, but Massachusetts has um, a concealed carry law. Um, would Sam have been discharged that night or the following day? He never called Coach or Diane or anything? Like, nobody, like, I just, the fact that he just can't, like, hobbles in the next day and nobody knows what happened and, and he's able to get away with this lie. I'm like, ah, okay, this is one of those things where you, if you hold any bit of this to scrutiny, it doesn't hold up. The only, the only way that works is if he didn't go to the hospital uh, because the injury was so superficial, like you said, you know the possibility that it just took a little flesh off. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, is that possible? Yeah, it's possible. Is it likely? Probably not. Uh, you know, and if he didn't either, he didn't go to the hospital and went to a doctor who wasn't totally reputable, but he'd have no reason to have a doctor risk his license or anything over that. Right, you know, it's right. Not, it's not not like you know a criminal who's going to give the doctor, you know, X number of thousand dollars to keep his mouth shut. Mm-hmm. You know that that's that's not the case here. Uh, you know, this, this is a stupid accident, and why wouldn't he just let it get reported? I, I'm trying to come up with some sort of head cannon on it. Uh, the best I could come up with is he he and Marvin come you know decide not to go to the hospital because Marvin's going to get in trouble if he if they do. And he only needs a couple of stitches, or you know, or or it's it's such a superficial wound that they could just put a bandage on it. That's all I can come up with. I, I don't think it really holds up to close scrutiny. But if you're gonna, you know, if you're gonna move forward and you're gonna try and think about what they would do in the hospital, that doesn't make that doesn't hold up to any scrutiny. Right. I'm. I mean, I'm even trying to think of like if Sam would have told the cops that it was his gun and it just accidentally shot himself when he was putting the gun away or something like i mean he as a as a small business owner as a bar owner he would have a, a, every every reason in the world to have, to own a, a gun and to be carrying it with him or something or, or have it in the bar but would the cops then like double check the, the gun against his license or would they would they backtrack it that far i don't know I, I mean i don't think they would check the ballistics on the bullet in that event but right. I, I've never had any reason watching this show to believe that Sam Sam was a gun owner, mm-hmm. and no. certainly this, certainly this episode doesn't present him as especially <laughs> adept with it either. No, but I, I'm just thinking like if he like I if he told the cops that he was I like why would they suspect otherwise? I mean, I, I it it does actually seem a little bit surprising that there isn't a gun in the bar. I mean, it seems like a, a prime target for a robbery or something. So anyway, I don't know. Where was it going? But 
Well, I guess the next thing is when he's telling the story to the bar patrons. <laughs> yes, yes, and and, uh, and and of course, the the story keeps getting bigger, bigger, very quickly. You know, from you know one armed guy to multiple armed people, um, and he has to kick. Out, he has to uh, like the what does he say? I guess the closest comparison would be Bruce Lee, really. Yeah. <laughs> and then when he's even in the office telling Diane, he's like, when you're surrounded by a bunch of guys with machine guns. Automatic weapons. Automatic weapons. Yeah, so I thought she was going to question that too. You automatic? <laughs> you didn't mention automatic weapons before. I think by that point she knew. She's like, "Yeah, none of this is true. What's going on?" Um. And, I mean, was there any anything about the story that you wanted to focus on, or I was just going to get to well, the, I, I, I was just going to kind of go to the the level of immaturity <laughs> that it takes <laughs> to make up that story and to just you know. You got to think, you know, under all circumstances, when he's coming, he's walking in there with a cane limping, you know, they're going to ask you what happened. Yeah. So you got to think, okay, either you're going to tell them the truth, but you found, you know, he, that's going to embarrass him. So he doesn't want to tell the truth. So he should have come up with a more believable story, <laughs> you know, a little, little less bombastic, something that'll just fly under the radar and be okay. You know, he, he could have, he could have, you know, I, I tripped, I fell down, I injured my hip, whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, he, but he had, you know, but then, you know, it's just great watching him <laughs> as unrealistic as it is, but watching him and watching Ted Danson's acting as he starts realizing Oh, I could tell this, and they're going to love it. And he just keeps building on it and building on it. And I, I think he did a really great job of playing that immaturity mm-hmm. that it takes to do that. And then you know, it's it's further emphasized by Diane later when they're talking when she gives him the the bigger the lie, the bigger the fool one might appear. <laughs> you know that that line. <laughs> his uh, response is so perfect. He's like, "Well, whatever." <laughs> I, just, I love his reaction to that. <laughs> you know, the, the the one thing about the Diane-Sam interplay in this episode that kind of left me a little disappointed is she mentioned mentions Frasier on several occasions. Mm-hmm. And I think this episode would have only been better if Frasier had been in it. I actually, one of my notes was that this is the first episode of the season where we don't see Frasier. This is the first time, episode without him. Um, and yeah, he is, he is name-dropped a couple of times. But yeah, he's, he's not in this one for the first time in this season. And I'm wondering if there was maybe some sort of scheduling thing, because I know originally Kelsey Grammer was not supposed to join the cast full time. Right. So I'm wondering if if at this point they were kind of, you know, they had planned, oh, by the fifth episode, we're going to write him off. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then, you know, they they changed the story to keep him around. But, you know, they couldn't change the script to add him in, although I I think I would have bent over backwards to do so because I think he, he like I said, I think he would have added to it. He, you could have given him a couple of one-liners that would have just made this even better. Yeah, I've heard conflicting things like they they planned to have him possibly throughout the whole season but be done by the end of the season, possibly only for half of the season, possibly only for eight episodes. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, uh, I mean, certainly at this point, there was like, if we don't need him in this episode, we don't have to pay him to be here because he's not one of our series regulars. So it might have just been something like that. I mean, since we, I mean, we did establish that they they cut out what would have been like a, a a nothing teaser in order to to you know truncate this part. So maybe they thought the episode was big enough as it is, but uh, it would have been interesting to have him like talk confront Sam in this scene. 
coming back to the, the finale when Marvin returns yet again with another gun, and this time, it, and once Diane is in there, um, I, I think the, you you alluded to the Sam's bit of uh, physical comedy in this moment. Uh, I don't know yeah. if that was your home run or if you wanted to explain that now. <laughs> no, it's, it's <laughs> well, it, it's it's funny to me on on two levels because the first part of it is. Sam wants to get Diane to distract Marvin. (laughs) So he, he, oh, isn't that a run in your stocking? And how clumsily Diane plays sexy (laughs) is is very amusing in this. You know, oh, this is such a big run. And she's, you know, and and Diane's all prim and proper because you could even see she has a slip on underneath her skirt. Uh, You know, and and, and she's, she's trying to distract him and he finally turns around. But, like, it takes... You know, a, a real effort from her to get him to even look at her, yeah. and then then Sam gives a hi-ya and jumps in the air to try and kick the gun out of Marvin's hair, but hand, but misses by a mile. Yeah. And it's it's just great. And it's, it's it's basically him trying to do what he told the guys he did. In like, exactly, it's you know what he explained. It, part of his story was that he kicked out. He's like, you know, I'm an athlete and everything. He kicked out like Bruce Lee, kicked the gun out of the guy's hand. This is him trying to live up to his own hype and trying to fulfill that part of the story. And of course, cannot make it because he's misjudging and because of he's injured. So he kind of, but he like, yeah, Ted Danson, he, like he goes perfectly horizontal. <laughs> like like he, is, he is parallel with the bar. Yeah, like but he's, he's throwing like, a drop kick almost. Yeah, but, but his hands are still on that bar. So he just swings pendulum like back to the ground. <laughs> you better not do that again. And he's like, "Oh no, no, don't worry about that," because <laughs> he only caused himself pain by doing it. Yeah, yeah it's good. It's it's a great moment. Mm. But like I said, I, I also I give credit to Shelley Long for her acting there, because you know the character she's playing just does not have that femme fatale nature. Right, right. Exactly. And, and for her to even try it, it's like, oh yeah, okay. You're like you're rolling your eyes. And what's cool is so is Marvin. <laughs> of course, of course. Is he here? But what does he say? Put put a little uh, glue on it, or put a little <laughs> crazy glue on it, or something. And she's, uh, and, and you know, when he's, he, you know, she's trying to relate to him and empathize with him, and he's like, "Do you have any idea what it's like to be in love with trash?" And, and she's like, very almost immediately, she's like, "Yes." <laughs> she's like, "You have no idea." Yes. <laughs> Oh, and then she she starts trying to talk like a you know yeah. like a street person, you know. Yeah, she's you know what lovely. She's like, what is that? What does that get you? Like a one way or like a slap in the face, a kick in the guts, a one way ticket to like Heartbreak City, Lucaville, yeah, Heartbreak City. Yeah. So she's she's talking like she she just came out of a uh, you know out of Guys and Dolls. Yeah, and Sam is like, the guy's a stockbroker. Why are you talking to him like that? Oh, and then I love it when – so he's he's finally ready to leave and he's, he kind of says, you know Mar- – or Marvin is ready to go. He's like, I'm not going to shoot you because it would cause her too much pain. He's like, even though the best thing I could do would be to shoot you and put her put you out of her misery. So he leaves and he kind of like says this last thing to Diane. He's like, if you ever want someone who can give you a nice, quiet life, he's like, look me up. I'm like, between this guy and Andy Andy – Diane, <laughs> Diana is attracting a type. The longer she works in this bar, yeah, definitely. But you know, but at that, she—I think she's like, oh yeah, sure. And she rolls her eyes. <laughs> yeah. 
And then, yeah, it ends with uh, Sam calling, or, or she, he's like, he's like, you saved my life, I'll do anything. She's like, well, the one thing I want from you, you won't do it. He's like, yeah, he's like, let's go back to the office. He's like, you know, I'm injured, you're going to have to do most of the work yourself. <laughs> <laughs> of course, and then and then he calls the office, or he calls the city desk to, to, to retract the story, and he starts talking to Emily in, in like, circulation, or just, like, who's just on the phone. Oh, you heard about that, huh? <laughs> yeah, he's like, well, I'd love to meet you too. Yeah, yeah. When you get, oh yeah, four AM. That's no problem. <laughs> and then you know, I, I wonder, you know, just getting more into it there. I wonder uh, when he starts heading for the office and says, "You'll have to do all the work." Is he totally joking, or does he still have the attraction to Diane and thinks it may be a good time to put a you know to put a move on her? I think. He, I, I think nothing about that was about still being in love with her or hung up on her. I just think his default is always to think about sex first. Like that's just he's like, hey, we just survived. We're both our adrenaline is pumping. <laughs> like well, let's put this to good use, you know? <laughs> yeah, I, I could go with that because I, I don't. I don't think he's thinking he's in love with her at this point. It's not like uh, you know he's pining for her, mm-hmm. but. But I don't think he's joking about going and having sex. Right, right. Yeah, I agree. I, I think yeah, that was a legit offer as far as he was concerned. So, uh, any final thoughts about this one? No, I think you hit on all my notes. Yeah, yeah. Again, uh, like it's it's. I, I don't want to call this a forgettable episode because it's got like the, the signature. I mean, a gun goes off. That's pretty memorable. Um, but it's, it's, I mean, overall it was, it was okay. It was fun. Like, I don't, I don't dislike any episode of Cheers. I'm never going to say that all that was crappy, but, uh, yeah, it it was, it was okay. And I think it, it, this led to some good conversation discussion amongst us. So that's always a, that's always a fun experience. Definitely. It's, it's, you know, it's an average episode. It's not, Mm -hmm. it's not a standout, but it's not bad by any stretch. Right. And it's got its moments. Yeah. Uh, for Norm's tab, he is uh, he is getting back to his average again. I clocked him having four beers this one, which brings him up to two hundred and seven for the series up to this point. Uh, who was your employee of the week? Your uh, your MVP? You know, I wanted to give it to one of the more minor players, just for you know certain lines that were really well delivered. But I I think I have to go with Sam. I think he carries this episode and he does so much in it that you know I think Ted Danson is 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 the guy in this episode. Yeah. I, yeah, I completely agree. And, and like for, the, for playing the physical parts of the injury, like even like when he first comes into the bar, like when he's hobbling, the way he has to go down the stairs, he sort of like almost kind of like rolls down them just on like the, the, the balls of his heels and everything like that. It's just, it's a very good, just like physical acting. And then with the kick, or even, even when, when, when uh, coach, Slaps hits him, him in the like, ass, like, he, uh, you know, yeah. like way to go, Mayday, because he thinks he thinks the bullet, you know, the bullet wound is it's in his leg, leg, not in his butt, yeah. and and Sam does like this dance step, and he, <laughs> yeah. the the thing about that that makes that scene as far as the the comedy goes is the way he holds the cane <laughs> yes. as he's doing the step, yeah, and it's just you know, but some physical moments that are that are just very amusing, yeah, but then he also he plays. The fear he plays the the cocky and the arrogance and and making up the story on the spot and rolling with it. I just thought, yeah, I, I agree with you. This was Sam's episode, and, and he he deserves it. Um, for my home run, I actually went with something. It wasn't a joke. It wasn't a line. It was another bit of physicality, but very subtle that I thought was this great little touch. 
And it's in that scene when, when he and Diane are talking to Marvin towards the end. Diane is convincing Marvin that she, you know, no matter what, she, she still loves Sam. She's got to stick by her fella. And she's got her armor on him. And Sam has his armor on her waist. And as she's talking about loving him, Sam's hand starts to slip down, like, lower and lower <laughs> on her hip. Until she very just suddenly just grabs his hand and pulls it back up to where it should be. And I was just like, that was just a great touch. And I don't know if that was in the script or if that was just something that Ted and Shelley did. But I love that little moment. That is, that's terrific. Uh, my home run, you, you hit on it, and, and my home run, I think, was was a little uh, post-episode dubbing, and it's Cliff's line about, <laughs> yeah. I could stay out as late as I want, as long as I call Ma by 10. <laughs> yeah, that was good, yeah. That, that one made me laugh more than anything else, and like I said, it almost feels like it was an afterthought. Yeah, yeah, it definitely seemed, because it, we don't see him in it, it, like, you can tell by the audio quality, like, it, it, that was, uh, yeah, that was an ADR thing, yeah, definitely. Well, very cool. Uh, Paul, once again, thank you for being on the show. I always love talking to you about Cheers and stuff, so uh, it's great to have you on these episodes. Uh, Thanks for having me. Anytime anytime you you have an opening, I'm, I'm more than happy to come on. I'm sure with like 200 more episodes, I'm sure I will have an opening or two until I do get you back. Until then, where can our listeners find you if they want to hear more from you? Uh, The listeners can find me on the Two True Freaks Network, where I am the host or co-host of Is It Yours, Listen to the Prophets, and Back to the Bins, which are about movies, Star Trek Deep Space Nine, and comic books, respectively. Very cool, very cool. Give those a listen, listeners. Uh, yeah, thank you all of you out there who listen to Cheerscast and support the show by liking and sharing on Facebook or favoriting and retweeting on Twitter or leaving a comment on the website, which you can find at fireandwaterpodcast.com. You can also support the Fire and Water Podcast Network on Patreon. Special thanks to Mike Gillis from Radio vs. the Martians and Rick from Jeff and Rick Presents Unpacking the Power of Power Pack, who sponsored this show. For more information on how you can support your favorite show on the Fire and Water Network, visit patreon.com slash fwpodcasts. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And until next time, we're closed.
I did not know she was married. I cut it off as soon as I found out, and I was not running away. I was putting the gun in my back pocket when it, when it went off. Oh. <laughs> this is a perfect comment on your lifestyle. Will you answer me one question? What? When you went to the doctor, did you ask him to get the lead out? Oh, <laughs> uh, Frazier's gonna love that one, isn't he? Oh, Frazier's weekend is made. Yeah. Come on, enough jokes. Just, uh, do me one favor. I huh? will not change your dressing. No, 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 no. L listen, just back me up on this, will you? If everybody finds out what really happened... It might make you the butt of their jokes. <laughs> <laughs> I'll save that one for his birthday. <laughs> Come on, just promise me, will you? Just, just don't say anything, huh? Sure, Sam. I won't blow your story. But I must warn you, uh, uh. the bigger the lie, the bigger the fool one might appear later to be. Well, whatever. Um, 